الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله كثيرا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا رسول الله وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم وقوله الحق وهو أصدق الصادقين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس إنا خلقناكم وجعلناكم شعوبا وقبائل لتعارفوا إن أكرمكم عند الله أتقاكم Once famously stated that America needs to understand the religion of Islam for it is the religion of Islam that has a solution for racism in society Islam has the solution to eradicate racism and prejudice from society and indeed Islam has what it takes to eradicate racism, prejudice, discrimination from people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in numerous occasions within the Holy Quran makes a reference to this that all human beings are created from Adam and Eve and from the same substance we are all created from this earth and to this earth we will return Being from different countries, having different passports, having different class in society, this is all the creation of man. God created this earth and He placed all human beings and all His creation on this earth for us to enjoy this earth together as one family. And you find that the Muslims have exhibited this notion in the most prominent of places. You find that in Hajj, when we visit the sacred mosque, 
in Mecca, Masjid al-Haram. Everyone is equal. And this is what really motivated and moved Malcolm X. He went with a different paradigm, thinking just because he has a different skin color, then people will dislike him based on that, discriminate against him based on that. As he put it, every, every white man would end up hating him because he's black. But when he went to Hajj and he saw that the whites and the black and the rich and the poor are all wearing the same two garments of ihram, he went to study the religion of Islam further and he had a different message. The same message that Rasulullah had in the farewell Hajj, Hajjatul Wida, when he gathered all the Muslims, he gave them his final, final farewell. And you all know what occurred on that day. Amongst the things that Rasulullah stated was لا فضل لعربي على أعجمي إلا بالتقوى There is no superiority of an Arab above a non-Arab a white above a black only with taqwa and piety The criteria that distinguishes people in the eyes of Allah, our Creator, is their level of submissiveness to Him, their level of piety and righteousness. Another area that the Muslims have exhibited this notion is within the seminaries. If you go to the Islamic seminaries today, whether it is in Egypt, Tunisia, whether it's in um, whether it's in Karbala or Najaf, you'll find people from all different nationalities and backgrounds going there to study, to seek the Islamic sciences. And today, we are proud of the outcome of the seminary in Najaf, where we have a marja', the grand marja', the supreme marja', who is from Iran. We have other maraja. One is from Pakistan. One is from Afghanistan. One is from Iraq. One is from Bahrain. One is from Lebanon. And when you study in the seminary, you come across books, prominent books, that are ought to be studied by every single student in the Hawza. Some of them are authored by for example, ulama from Jabal Amil, Lebanon. Some are authored by ulama from Iran. Some are authored by ulama from Iraq, Hilla, for example. And some are authored by ulama of Afghanistan. Al-Khundul Khurasani, for example, one of the most prominent books that ought to be studied and the seminary is authored by Al-Akhund Al-Khurasani who hailed from Afghanistan. 
when you're given those books, you don't say, well, I can't study this book because he's, the author of this book is from Pakistan or Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq or Lebanon. I come from a different origin. Just today, you witnessed the son-in-law of the Grand Marja. The Grand Marja of our time has son-in-laws from Pakistan, Kashmir. The Marja himself is from Iran, who lived in Najaf. The ulama, the scholars, the maraja, the fuqaha have taught us to look beyond borders, nationalities, colors. And another place where we gather, where we exhibit this unity of humanity is under the banner and the flag of Sayyidina wa Mawlana wa Azimina Al-Imam Al-Hussein. You've all seen the slogan of Al-Hussein yuwahiduna. Al-Imam Al-Hussein unites us. We gather due to the love of Hussein. That's why when you go to the Arba'een procession, you go to Karbala, you find people, they open their doors, they open their homes. They don't ask you where you're from, what language you speak, how much you have in your bank account. They open their doors, they serve you. I know prestigious families in Karbala, honorable families in Karbala who the only thing that they do for the 10 days, 20 days of the Arba'een procession is wash the Zawar's clothes, dry them, iron them, clean the restrooms and the bathrooms for them, and they evacuate their homes for the Za'areen of Imam Al-Hussein. Not asking where they come from or what their background is. However, brothers and sisters, today, the world, this entire world is going through something very special, very unique, very beautiful. The Black Lives Matter movement. What's the Black Lives Matter movement? It's a retaliation to brutality. Years of brutality by the police. Discrimination, racism. The police or ought to look at all the citizens of a land equally. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter your color. How much money you have. If you are part of the law enforcement, you ought to enforce the law and protect the citizens and the people. However, time and time again, we've seen that unfortunately, the law enforcement picks and chooses. And sometimes, instead of protecting the people, they are the ones that put people at harm's way. And this needs to be corrected. And that's why you have millions of people around the world stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And we as Muslims, we also stood in solidarity with them. We made sure that we speak out. Wherever there is injustice around the world, we must make sure that we unite our voices with the ones being oppressed. But 
You might be asked in classrooms, you might be asked in, by your boss, by your employer, by your employee. You might be asked by people, well, you know, it's true that you're part of this Black Lives Movement and you're vocal and there are many Muslim activists. But prove to me, tell me, how is it that Islam came to eradicate racism from society? How is it that Islam came to eradicate prejudice from society? How is it that Islam came to abolish slavery? And many of us then are unable to respond to such questions. Unfortunately, many of us, we end up attending the majalis of Imam Al-Hussein 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But when we are asked the most simple questions about the Quran, when we are asked the most simple questions about Islam and the Prophet Muhammad, we're not able to give an academic response, a convincing response. And this is where the majalis and the mimbar and the message has failed. Today, if a majlis takes place here in this part of the world, it needs to speak of the problems and the issues and the current events that surround us here today. It needs to relate to our lives. That's why those majalis are extremely important. They're not just a ritual where we gather to do azadari for Imam Al-Hussein. It's a school for us to come with our families, educate ourselves, have a better understanding of the religion of Islam. So we might be asked, look, how is it that Islam is against racism? Especially when we look at the Muslim world and we look at the Muslim countries today. Well, you're going to find racism there. And the cradle of Islam, the birthplace of Islam, the place that Rasulullah sallallahu stood to abolish racism, prejudice, slavery. Today you find, you find it all. It's a package. It's there. The weak are being destroyed, abolished, annihilated. Their neighbors, the poor people of Yemen, we cannot forget the people of Yemen. We will not forget the people of Yemen who are suffering every single day. And I see some Muslims. I see some Muslims today. They'll have videos on YouTube and they'll do fundraisers for the children of Yemen. They'll raise funds for the children of Yemen to build schools in Yemen. However, I don't see any of them being vocal against the war in Yemen. The injustice that takes place in Yemen. And many of those ulama, the so-called scholars, fuqaha, muftis, instead of standing firmly against this act of aggression, they'll be, they'll be ready to take the Saudi dinars any day. Without hesitation. To, to praise the Saudi monarchs. You've all seen 
the documentaries of people in some of the Muslim countries who truly live in camps. I have seen this with my own eyes. Many of you have seen this with your own eyes. Where people from India, Pakistan, Bengalis, Afghanis are in and out of the city to do slave work. They come into the city as slaves, they go back to their camps as slaves. You've all seen the documentary of the children. Children, they tell them, where are you from? I don't know. How old are you? I don't know. Where are your parents from? I don't know. What's your name? I don't have a name. So what are you doing here? They were part of the child trafficking to bring them to some of the Arab countries and turn them into camel jockeys. The kid's five years old, 10 years old, he becomes a camel jockey. They feed him once a day, so he has light weight on the camel. Where does this take place? In the so-called Muslim countries. So-called Muslim land. The prejudice against the Indians. The prejudice against the Africans. The prejudice against the Bengalis. And the rest, Afghanis, whatever it may be. It's prevalent, it's, it's visible, you see it. You see it every single day. And it's unacceptable. They read the Quran. They read the Quran. Some of them memorize the Quran. However, when the refugees were drowning in the Red Sea, nobody was willing to implement the Quran. Nobody was willing to open their doors and welcome them into their countries, to aid them, to give them. One of the Muslim countries suggested if they move and migrate to the EU, we will build them mosques, we will build them masajid. Those masajid, the product of those masajid are ISIS and Qaeda. We don't need such masajid. Those people need schools and medicine and shelter and clothes. They don't need masjids, they can pray at home. But what is dangerous, what is most dangerous, brothers and sisters, is what I'm about to tell you now. All this is done in the name of God, justified by God, justified by the Holy Quran. When you say, why is this taking place? They quote an ayah for you. They'll bring a mufti, a alim, to justify their injustice. Racial profiling, discrimination, and their prejudice. And I can say this today, like no other country around the world, Muslim countries are exploiting God and scripture for their political agenda. Every time they have a political motive, political agenda, they'll use the Quran. To make peace with certain countries, you tell them why, they say this is the Quran. To create ISIS, when ISIS beheads people, you say why, they tell you this is the Quran. When they kill and literally they behead 
political prisoners and you say why they quote you the Quran when they kill and they chop journalists into pieces they justify it with religion I'm not saying other countries don't do that in fact you know with the current administration in the United States of America who's seen as one of the most racist people around the world one of the most racist leaders around the world unfortunately you'll find religious leaders they'll gather around him you know they'll they'll pray with him and they'll publicly say he's the gift of God he's the chosen one by God he is the gift of Christ for this for humanity but for the most part we find that there are no other political parties exploiting people while using the name of God and scripture like the Muslims how did this come about and how is it that we must study this phenomenon and eradicate this and become vocal just like Imam al Hussein was on the 10th of Muharram I read a tradition to you and upon you from Al-Imam Zainul Abidin Ali ibn al-Hussein yesterday where Imam Zainul Abidin says La yawm ka yawm al-Hussein There is no day like the day of Hussein Qad azlafa ilayhi qad izdalafa ilayhi thalathuna alfa 30,000 men gathered kullun yataqarrabu ila Allahi bidamah They all seek nearness to Allah with his blood on the 10th of Muharram, Umar ibn Sa'ad says, Ya khayl Allah irkabi. All the horsemen of God, sit on your horses and stampede the body of Hussein ibn Ali, Rayhana to Rasulullah. There be more exploitation of the name of God and scripture and, and religion while the grandson of Rasulullah is being killed people are shouting Allahu Akbar and this continues until today the discrimination, the prejudice, the Shia phobia around the world continues today until several years ago the whole world was a witness when the followers of Ahl al-Bayt, when the Shia of Imam al-Hussein would go and they would walk towards the Arba'een to do the visitation of Imam al-Hussein, the car bombs and the bomb blasts that took the lives of thousands upon thousands of people. The people from Sapaha Sahaba who come into the local Imam Bargas in Pakistan and they kill those commemorating the grandson of Rasulullah what is their crime when those people they do this what do they, they what do they say they say Allahu Akbar they use the name of God for this and I want to speak about this this evening and I want to join my voice 
with the Black Lives Matter movement, but in a special way. In a way that relates to our community today. And that is why we'll examine this topic in the following manner. Number one, the reality of marriage within our society today, within our community today, and the teachings of the Ahlul Bayt. Number two, our reality today, our communities today, in comparison to the community of Rasulullah and the Ahlul Bayt. Number three, the classification of people and the racial profiling done in the name of Islam and the role of the Ahlul Bayt to rejuvenate the true teachings of Islam. And finally, last but not least, did Black Lives Matter in the camp of Sayyid al-Shuhada Aba Abdullah al-Hussein or not? Let us examine this very quickly. We are short out of time this evening after your three loud salawats ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Brothers and sisters, let's not ignore the elephant in the room. Today, we have a special reality. If two individuals would like to get married in our community, they may face opposition from their community or their parents. And when you ask, what is the problem? Is it that, you know, they both don't believe in Allah? Yes, they do. Do they believe in Rasulullah? Of course they do. Do they believe in the wilaya of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib? Yes, they do. So what is the problem? The problem is that I am Iraqi and he's not. The problem is that I'm Iranian and she's not. The problem is that we are Lebanese and this guy, he's not Lebanese. And I can tell you, this has caused a lot of trouble. A lot of people, and I tell you this, end up being forced in marriages. And those marriages do not last, unfortunately. And if they last, they're not happy marriages. And there are many problems that occur in such marriages. Don't have time, neither I find it appropriate to speak of this matter now. But we all know what they are. And amongst the people that have an understanding, they have evolved. Once they have come to the West, you will find that they overlook such issues. And they are happy in their marriages. They integrate. Look at, for example, the Khoja community. Not here to point them out, but I don't think they even have 1% of 
of individuals within their community that have outside marriages. As if other people are not worthy. Even from the Iraqi perspective, the Pakistani perspective, the Indian perspective. Let us now ask a very important question. Do we follow Islam or do we follow our culture? Let's not keep on, you know, making excuses. Let's be real. We don't have time. Those 10 nights are very special. We have to get right to the point. How did Rasulullah behave? How did the Imams behave? How did the Ahlul Bayt behave? The Ahlul Bayt, salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhum, are above all humanity. They're above the Iraqis. They're above the Pakistanis. They're above the Khojas. They're above the Indians. They're above the Lebanese. Did they say we only marry amongst ourselves? One of the marriages that needs to be examined at such times is the marriage of Rasulullah Khatamul Anbiya'i Muhammad with Maria Al-Qabtiyya, the Coptic Mary, Maria. Maria came, she hailed from Alexandria, Africa. She was an African woman. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam loved her, he respected her. In fact, she was known to have three qualities. Read history. Number one, she was beautiful. Number two, she was extremely submissive and devoted to Rasulullah. Number three, she had extreme akhlaq, beautiful akhlaq, etiquette, amazing behavior, not just with the Prophet, with everybody else. But there was a lot of prejudice against her. How can this ex-African slave come and occupy such a prominent position with Rasulullah? And when she was gifted to Rasulullah by the Coptic king of Alexandria, and she came from Africa, she came with a slave. And the king wrote to Rasulullah that this slave will serve Maria. He's there to serve you and Maria. And Maria gave birth to Rasulullah's son Ibrahim. And Rasulullah at the age 57 was so delighted to have a son by the name of Ibrahim. And he said, I've given him the name of my grandfather Abraham. Imagine the prejudice. Imagine how racist some people were that surrounded Rasulullah. Go and read history. After Ibrahim was born, Billah, they said, the son Ibrahim, he looks like the slave of Maria. He looks like, he doesn't look like Rasulullah. And what is the slave always doing with Maria? Imagine what that can do to Rasulullah, what that can do to his wife. Imagine what that can do to the community of Muslims. We hear those stories and we think, wow, they're horrible. But let's ask ourselves, do we engage in, in the same kind of attitude sometimes? Rasulullah appointed Imam Ali. 
He said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, this case is in your hand and you are adil. You shall investigate. They investigated this matter and it was indeed that this slave who was sent with Maria was castrated. It was a castrated slave. Rasulullah announced this to the Muslims. But imagine the prejudice, the racism that existed amongst people while Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was trying to have a new establishment. Rasulullah married a woman from Africa who hailed from Africa and he was delighted to have a son by the name of Ibrahim from her. Though the son didn't live, two years later he died and he's buried in Baqiq. And Rasulullah cried for him and he wept for him. Imam al-Sadiq salawatullahi alayhi Imam al-Sadiq's wife, the mother of Musa ibn Ja'far She's also African She came from Africa, an ex-slave from Africa And when she gave birth Imam al-Sadiq said, I will name him after Kalimullahi Musa and he shall be the greatest man alive in his time. The Imams taught us this. They've left this legacy for us. We need to understand this. We need to bring about change in our society, in our community. And I'm so happy and delighted today. I find that some communities, they have looked beyond color and borders. Especially when it comes to the ulama, you will have, for example, different communities host individuals and ulama from different languages, different backgrounds. Some of the resident ulama today have an African descent. This is when we've truly put our differences aside and we've allowed Islam to make us into one family. Number two. Our communities in comparison to the community of Rasulullah and the Ahlul Bayt. You all know the story of Bilal. You all know that he was the spokesman of Rasulullah. But let me tell you one very small story from Bilal. You've not, you might not have heard this one. When Bilal went on the Kaaba and he did the Adhan in Mecca after Rasulullah liberated Mecca, some of the Arabs came and they stood in front of him and they said, we thank God. Our parents, my father, our fathers are so lucky to be dead. I said, why? Why would you, be say, why would you say that? I said, our fathers are so lucky to be dead in their graves right now. And they don't see this crow on the Kaaba. Rasulullah, you think he was not under pressure? You think Rasulullah was not told many times? In fact, the first time that Bilal did adhan amongst the Muslims, the Muslims, several individuals from the Muslims, from the Sahaba of Rasulullah came to him and they said, Ya Rasulullah, please remove this mule from the minarets. Those were their exact words, remove this mule from the minarets. You think Rasulullah was not under pressure? But Rasulullah created a society 
where it looked for iman and taqwa and piety. Rasulullah made that clear. And Allah revealed this ayah in praise of Bilal, in defense of Bilal. Ya ayyuhannasu inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa untha. We've created you, O men, O woman, O mankind. We have created you from a single soul. And we've put you in different tribes and ethnicities and colors and backgrounds. Lita'arafu. So that you get to know one another, you learn from one another, you bond with one another. Today in our communities, when we go to our communities, we find some communities are strictly for the Afghanis. And until now, this is they, they name their communities. They live in America. They live in the United Kingdom. They live in Australia. But the title they have chosen for themselves the Afghani, the Iranian, the Iraqi, the Khoja. This is unacceptable. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's only identity. The identity of Hamza, the identity of Rasulullah, the identity of Salman, the identity of Bilal, the identity of Mari al-Qibtiya, the identity of all the Muslims was Islam. This earth, like I said, passports, Countries, languages, this is the creation of man. Allah created us and He put us on this earth and He said, you're all one family. I'm not saying forget your heritage, don't speak your mother language, don't visit back home. None of that. Don't get me wrong. Don't misquote me, please. But we have to see what comes first, culture or Islam. If Islam comes first, that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. And if in our culture we have rituals and practices that are Islamic, that respect the values of Islam, that is even more beautiful. But if we have cultural differences, where an Iranian does not feel welcomed in an Iraqi center, and an Iraqi does not feel welcomed in a Pakistani center. And a Pakistani does not feel welcomed at a Khoja center where we do not work together. We do not tolerate one another. We do not help and aid one another. Then we have lost the values of the Ahlul Bayt, the Holy Quran. And this is the time to change that. Number three, finally. In the name of Islam, in the name of the Quran, we find that in Islamic history, prejudice and racism became prevalent. You'll find 12 different classes of people by the time Imam Ali took office as the fourth caliph. Particularly in the time of the third Khalifa Uthman, the Arabs were put in different classes. The non-Arabs were put in different classes. The immigrants were put in different classes. And they were all paid differently from Bayt al-Mal. Some were given a lot of money. Some were given in the hundreds. Some were given in the thousands of horses, golden dinars, dirhams. 
And some know because they were slaves and they were non-Arabs and they were immigrants. They were given very little. When Imam Ali became the Khalifa, he decided that he's going to give the same exact number to everyone without making, an, without making any exceptions. Listen, this is easier said than done. So a woman comes to Imam Ali and she receives her monthly payment from the Islamic treasury. Her slave is there. She also takes you know, her monthly payment from the Islamic treasury and they go back. The next day she comes back. She says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, you made a mistake yesterday. You gave me, I'm an Arab. I'm Muslim. My slave is a slave. And she's converted to Islam. You've given us both the same. How is this possible? Imam Ali smiled. He took a little bit of the soil of the earth with his right and a little bit with his left. And he said, you were created from this and she was created from this. You're both equal. In the eyes of Allah, you're equal. In the eyes of religion of Islam, you're both equal. To a point where his brother Aqil comes to him. Says, you're the Khalifa now. For all those years, we were not paid by Bayt al-Mal. Because we, because I was your brother. Because I'm your brother, I was not paid. Now that you're the Khalifa, I have children. I am in a state of poverty. Give me more. And you all know what Imam Ali did. And you all know his response. He puts the sword in the fire, then he extends it to the hands of Aqil. Aqil says, Ah! Imam Ali says, Ata'innu min narin hayya'ahal makhluqu lila'ibin wa tab'athuni ila narin hayya'aha jabbaru samawati wal ard li'ghadabin. You wine from a fire that I created for my amusement to keep me warm. And you're sending me to a fire that God has created for his wrath? Ya Aqeel? And he tells Kumail ibn Ziyad al-Nakha'i in his very famous letter of how he should treat his subordinates. فَإِنَّهُمْ sinfan. The people under you are in two categories. They are either your brothers and sisters and faith or in humanity today let us make sure and I, I want to say this and I want you to listen to me and I want you to pay attention today if you want to donate if you want to give if you want to support if you want to be part of aiding the cause of Islam the Quran and the Ahlul Bayt don't say well I have to see you know, is this person in line with my culture and my rituals and my background and does he speak my language? Or no. Where should my money go to better serve Islam and where does it please Allah? Where does it please Rasulullah? Where does it please Imam Al-Hussein? That should be our aim. If we're truly doing that qurbatan ilallah, if we want our reward from Allah on the Day of Judgment. But if we want our reward, from this microphone, for my name to be announced, for my 
family name to be praised, that's a different story. When it comes to the Black Lives Movement, this is not something new. People who stand for the rights of minorities, people of color, have always existed to seek justice for them. And amongst them was Al-Imam Abu Abdullah Al-Husayn on the 10th of Muharram. You all know that many nationalities, multi-faith, different religions, multicultural camp of Al-Imam Al-Husayn represented all walks of life. And there, there was a black African slave with Imam Al-Husayn. Imam Al-Husayn, when he reached Iraq, he freed him. He said to him, go. This is it. We don't need you anymore. You're a free man. Don't wait around. We will all be killed. We will be annihilated. And you would think that this person, if he was treated like a slave, if he was disrespected, then he would run. He would run. Instead, what did this man say? He said, Ya Aba Abdullah, I lived with you at ease. I saw your love and compassion. I enjoyed my days with you. Now that you are going through tribulations, you think I was going to neglect you? You think I'm going to forget you? You think I'm going to abandon you? Ya Aba Abdullah? And when he fell on the 10th of Muharram, Al-Imam Al-Hussein did something so special. So special. Just like he put his cheeks on the cheeks of Ali Al-Akbar. Just like he went and he kissed the cheeks of Ali Al-Akbar. He put his cheeks on the cheeks of this African slave. And he kissed him and he honored him. There is so much that we ought to learn from the school of Hussein, from the madrasa of Hussein, from the legacy of Hussein. And once again, brothers, sisters, beloveds, let us take our hearts, our souls to Sayyid al Shuhada to Karbala, to Imam Al-Husayn, to his brother, Qamar Al-Ashirah, Abel Fadl Al-Abbas, Bab Al-Hawa'ij. And I will take part, a small part, an insignificant part in the Aza of Imam Al-Husayn and I leave you brothers and sisters. But before I do that, I've been asked to convey a message. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm quite embarrassed that there is still an outstanding balance on the expenses of this majalis. And I know that many of you are probably not aware of this. And I know for a fact that there are many individuals here tonight who will dig deep in their pockets who will pay their allegiance to Imam Al-Husayn, who will stand in solidarity with Imam Al-Husayn and his family, not just by attending, shedding tears for Hussein, but by real action. 
those brothers and sisters who you see serving you every day, they have gone far and beyond in making this wonderful event, groundbreaking event, a success. They should not have to walk away from this with a bitter taste. And I know for a fact that you and the love you bear in your heart for Imam Hussein would not allow this. Don't think that this is the responsibility of the car next to me or the person next to me or somehow there is going to be a miracle where they'll wake up tomorrow and there will be a stash of cash. This is your responsibility. Don't choose money and wealth over Imam Al-Hussein. And the Nusra of Aba Abdullah Al-Hussein. May Allah bless you. May Allah resurrect us all with the Ansar of Imam Al-Hussein. We say our salutations to the Sayyid of the Ansar, the Sayyid of his Ahl al-Bayt, his brother, his beloved Aba al-Fadl Abbas, to him. Ya Sayyidana wa Mawlana Inna tawajjahna wa istashfa'na Wa tawassalna bika ila Allah وَقَدَّمْنَاكَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ حَاجَاتِنَا يَا وَجِيهًا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ اشْفَعْ لَنَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ يَا وَجِيهًا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ اشْفَعْ لَنَا عِنْدَ الله